My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. Linus Karp, a jellical friend, is here with me in the studio today. Hey, Linus. Hi, Paul. Give us the pitch for your Jellical show. Oh, okay. So I performed a show called How to Live a Jellical Life, live lessons from the 2019 hit movie musical Cats, which is sort of like a chaotic queer comedy slash TED Talk presentation about the Jellical Cats in Cats and how you can make your life more Jellical by learning things from them. That's a very good pitch. And would you say that you've actually educated at least some of the world, on how to be jellical. Yeah, I'd like to think so, yeah. Okay, great. What does that actually mean in terms of, you know, outputs? Well, I mean, spoiler alert, but okay. I think the main thing to take away is that actually, you, what you can learn is that you were jellical all along. The jellicality is inside you. Oh, I love yeah, that. You yeah, just I need think, to access it. I think you've just coined a new phrase as well, jellicality. <laughs> or is that actually from the film as well? It's not from the film, but I mean, I have used it. I feel like I've made many versions of the word jellical throughout my journey with this show. Well, I loved it. And we're going to talk a little bit more at the end about your new upcoming show about Princess Diana. But I want to start with hopefully a simple but potentially probing question. Is Mrs. Linus Senior, your mum, whose name I don't know just yet, is she jellical and why? Oh, I think she's very jellical. Elizabeth is her name. And I think she is, I mean, she is wonderful and incredibly loving, quite intense, <laughs> and chaotic, caring, artistic. I think all of those qualities basically mm. concludes that she is an incredibly jellical mom. I think when we were growing up, we never had that much money, but then over like, when her and dad started running a company, like they've mm. been a little bit better off, and I feel like that when she sort of got the chance to actually do the things he's always wanted to do, which are mostly giving people things. So they have like a couple of employees and they seem to find reasons to celebrate them all the time. <laughs> like obviously if there's a birthday, there'll be like cake and gifts yeah. and stuff. It's also like, oh, today's your name day, which is a thing you do in Sweden. Yes. And then obviously there's cake. Or today's, I don't know, like the anniversary of you getting your driving license. It will be like all these like obscure reasons to celebrate someone that she'll jump on. That's so gorgeous. And was it always cake? Well, it's uh, often cake and yeah. then other things as well. She's a very enthusiastic gift giver. Sometimes not necessarily well researched. I know there'll be many times where you get a gift, you're like, it's not necessarily a gift for me. But come on, tell us. No, well, I guess it's just been sometimes books about. I don't know. I remember getting like a history book of the history of Stockholm, yeah. the Swedish, Swedish okay. capital. I was like, history is never How been old my were thing. You? <laughs> I, I think I was probably in my late teens then. Okay, fine. So, I mean, if it was in my interest, it probably would have been the right gift. Yeah. Or there are times where she buys gifts, like clothes. She, she buys clothes quite often. And she's, I mean, she's a glamorous, well-dressed woman, cool. but we don't necessarily have the same sense of style all the time. So I know there's been times when she's bought things to me or my sisters and we're like, oh, thank you so much. Like this but is, not really. Yeah. yeah. But it's very hard to tell that. <laughs> like, I know this is a show about mums and our mums. I remember my sister, she's not like this very much anymore, but she was very like this when we were both younger as kids and as adults. 
if you gave her a present for her birthday or for Christmas that wasn't A, wrapped in the right wrapping paper, so it had to colour coordinate <laughs> under the tree, and B, was something that she just didn't like, she would tell you, like, right there, right then, in front of everyone, not in a kind of nasty way, but, you know, in an almost sort of unfiltered way. And there's a bit of me which respected that, but it sounds like there was, you were the opposite. You were very sort of, you know, understanding and forgiving. Oh, I think I've, there's definitely been times where I've said my thoughts, probably in quite a nice way, but then I've learned it's actually better not to most of the time. Fair enough. Because you want to keep her happy and she does it out of love. And of course. Whenever she thinks that you may not appreciate it, she does get a bit hurt. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> Which is really sad, yeah. Oh, I so do. then it's just better to be like, yes. oh, thank you so much, this is wonderful. And most of the time it is good. And on the few occasions I'm just like, well, this will go to the back of my wardrobe for a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) And then it will appear on eBay on a secret (laughs) account. You mentioned glamorous. Paint is a mental picture. I think, I guess I've never seen, I think Sweden just have a different, we as Swedish people are very stylish, of course. (gasps) Oh my Lord. And I do think we have a different, I don't think there's something I've necessarily seen myself, but then I know a lot of my friends here will be like, oh, she's such a glamorous woman. And they think she looks like straight, out of Eurovision or something like she's a Eurovision diva and I mean she looks very good like she dresses well she does her hair and like yeah like she has long blonde hair and which she always changes up or like dyes her color sometimes or so she takes the same approach with the hair as she does with the furniture at home yeah it's going to change every every couple of months exactly yeah yeah. like sunglasses and like maybe a little bit of jewelry like never too much but still enough to be like a glamorous presence. <laughs> She's incredibly glamorous and jellical by the sounds yeah, of it. Absolutely. And who would play her? Who would you like to play her? And who would she like to play her in a biopic of her life? Oh, God, such a good question. I think Lena Olin, amazing, mm. beautiful Swedish actress. Mm. I think she would be incredible. And I think that's probably someone my mum would be like, oh, yes, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think my mum, actually, she might pick Kate Winslet. Oh, which really? Also Based I mean, on how she looks or how she acts? Both. Okay, wow. <laughs> Actually, like, they could have... There's a little bit of similarities there. Right. And I guess it depends on what age you want to portray my mum as. But I do think, yeah, Kate Winslet could definitely pull it off, actually. That's a great comparison. But, like, Kate Winslet Titanic or Kate... Actually, I, do know <laughs> I don't know any other movies like Kate Winslet. I know, but I can't, I can't remember... Could you remember any Kate Winslet movies? Oh, God, Revolutionary Road, The Reader. Oh, well, clearly you... Um, okay, you're a, yeah. you're, a, you're a Kate Winslet stan. Yeah. Like, okay, what era of the Winslet do we think? Well, I would say... I mean, probably now. I wouldn't want to go, like, Titanic when she's no. basically a child. And yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't... I can't have, like, raunchy sexies when it's my mum. No, <laughs> no, exactly. Good God. So it probably would have to be more of a current Kate Winslet. Yeah. The Reader... To caring, gifting. Although the reader is where she oh, plays no. a Nazi and has sex with a 15-year-old, so hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm so sorry for drawing that. <laughs> Unintended comparison. Okay, has she seen your work, particularly the Jellicle show? She has, mm. yeah. She saw it because I did it online. She saw the online version and then she actually came to London because I was doing a tour of it at the beginning of this year. And for the final show, which was performed at Two Brewers here in London, which is a mm. queer venue, she came to it together with my dad. They flew over and they went on stage to introduce the show, no way. which was incredible. And like the crowd, because she's quite popular with a lot of the queers on Twitter. She's big on gay Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in like she's actually on Twitter as well. And she's sort of, you know, yeah. is she a meme lord? 
Is, this, is your mum behind, is she in a meme factory just churning it all out? Not intentionally. I mean, she's very funny. It sort of started that I put up these like little, little videos of my mum showing like her house and some of her art and some of the, like, cause she's, she loves decorating. So she was just like showing the beautiful home she had and stuff. Yeah. And people really loved it at the time. And then my mum sort of like, after I went back after a few days back to London, she sort of kept up and she puts out all these messages, which are, very sweet because they're so genuine, but they're always like hashtags in all kinds of places, <laughs> very questionable spelling and grammar, and that just makes it even better. <laughs> it's unintentionally funny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And she yeah. puts pictures of herself, but it's always very wholesome and very loving. It's always like, hello, dear Twitter gays, treat yourself today, like go get a coffee or remember you're beautiful or whatever. And, oh my God. and when you go to her, I sometimes just go on her Twitter to look at all the things she replies to because it yeah. will always be pictures of it tends to be like a lot of engagements especially yes. gay engagements yeah, 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 and she'll yeah. be like oh you look amazing congratulations yeah. or there'll be people posting about a loved one dying oh. and then she'll be like I'm so sorry for you oh, and I was like it seems to me Mama like, Elizabeth whatever appears on her feed wow. she'll comment on in a very loving way a lot of the things will be like viral things but obviously I don't think they necessarily look at my mum's but she writes it yeah. very personal to them anyway which is just very so she's like this sort of calming life force on an otherwise quite sort of negative Twitter sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. And I think some of my friends, because obviously a lot of queers don't necessarily have good relationships with their parents or they've had mm. issues with them in the past or whatever. So I think it's just nice to have this mother of all Twitter mm. games. It's just like a very loving presence. Has anyone ever, well, at the two brewers, did anyone notice her from Twitter? Like recognise her? Oh, yes. No. <laughs> she <laughs> yeah, really is Twitter gay famous. I mean, it's, most a lot of them are people I know or yeah, know of enough, at least. Yeah. They seen her, but she was actually because my partner got ill. He's normally my stage mm. manager, and mm. he was going to do the box office there as well. So I actually got my parents <laughs> to sit on the door, wow. like ticking people off the wow. ticket list. So quite a lot of people were really excited when it was mum there. A few yeah. of them took selfies with her. <laughs> no way! How did she kind of respond to that? Was she was she quite natural in the moment? Did she love it? Was she craving the attention? Yeah, she loves it. <laughs> she definitely <laughs> loves it. And she's like, afterwards, she was to me, it's like, they know who I am, but I don't recognize them. Oh. And she'll just like, yeah, she'll be very sweet. It's to so them. beautiful. I've always been interested in, for want of a better term, the slightly artificial concept of gay tribes. And I would quite like to have an equivalent, but for mums, not based on sexual preference yeah. per se but i wonder if there is an equivalent like but if we were going to sort of use the same spectrum based on i guess age body shape whatever this is going to, this is going to get really dark really quickly but maybe something a bit like i don't know personality based what would be your mum's grinder mum tribe oh wow <laughs> once would it be it needs to be, i don't know because i think it needs to be something that's both wholesome mm. But still a bit glamorous. If I was going to map out, again, stereotypes, you know, slightly useless, but kind of funny from a kind of BuzzFeed perspective, wholesome, maybe like a nice, calming effect of a bear and glamorous, maybe a straight acting gay. So is, is your mum a straight acting gay bear? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you're using those ones, yeah, then maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe. I thought we were going to have like different types. I think we should, but I I think we need to think about it a little bit more, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this can be part of your next show, Linus. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Categorizing categorizing women sounds like a quite (laughs) dangerous book. Very, very dangerous. Mm. Yeah. 
So we've talked about your mum, we've talked about her kind of, you know, your memories of her as a kid and her kind of relationship with your work. What about her or, you know, kind of your memories of the way she raised you and any things that you've got have influenced your kind of art and perhaps who you are today? I think mainly that she, both her and my dad, really let us be kids and do whatever we wanted. And I just feel like I never grew up with pressure of being a specific way at all. And I didn't grow up thinking, because I feel like obviously so many people, especially people who choose to go into the arts, will have parents who want them to to have certain jobs or do certain Mm. things. And I feel like I never even realized that there was like a hierarchy of jobs. Mm. I feel like I was actually probably into my late teens when I realized like, oh, some people think that some jobs are much better than others. But I just, I just guess I assume like, oh, some people want to teach. Some people want to be a doctor and some people mm. clean. And I didn't necessarily mm. think of it as much of a hierarchy in between mm. them. And I think that's something that I really got from her. And she will be so incredibly loving to people, no matter what, like she'll sit down and speak to a homeless person for a really long time and mm. treat them the same way she would treat any other person, like mm. someone who's really high up or an mm. important customer or whatever. I feel like she has no filter of humans. Like she just sees everyone as worthy of her time and love and attention. And I think that's such a beautiful quality. And I hope that's one that's formed me. That's so beautiful. What do you think guides her or has guided her in some of those things? You know, because you hope that everyone is quite altruistic and has time for everyone, but not everyone does. Like society mm. shapes us in different ways. Sounds like she's a little bit unique in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's amazing, especially considering, I mean, she grew up with, her father was a priest and a very conservative, traditional mm. priest. And I think she must have had, and her mother was mentally ill. And I think it must have been like a very tough upbringing where, where I don't think... She necessarily, I just think it's amazing that she has so much love as an adult, considering Mm. that that's probably something she didn't always have or have shown at least throughout her upbringing. And I I mean, she was actually thrown out of her home when she was 18, which is so incredibly tough, but she Mm. still just manages to be so full of love herself. And I just, I feel like amazed because I don't quite understand where it's come from. It sounds like, look, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to attempt to be one, but it definitely sounds from what you're saying like a lot of it is in reaction to those experiences as a kid as a, in her formative years, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And tell me if I'm prying too much and or if she wouldn't like you to sort of talk about these things. Having that sort of setup, that family setup is, is quite unique. I mean, obviously, most people don't have priests as parents, nigh on conservative ones. What did that, does she sort of speak about that? Has she spoken about that to you as an adult? And partly the reason I ask is my mum had a a tough childhood and she was very open with us about it as kids, but in retrospect, probably too open uh, as young kids. But was this something you discovered or learned about your mum a little bit later in life? Was she sort of open about it as a kid? Did you know either of your grandparents? Definitely later in life. I think I found out more and more about the upbringing. My grandma actually lived... And only passed a few years ago. Whereas my grandfather, the priest, he died when I was very little. Mm. And I think, sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm losing track. The, yeah, she was quite open. And she grew up like in a very tiny place. And then obviously being a priest back then in sort of like the 60s, you were so 
identified because mm. they're going to tiny place and you're the daughter of the priest. So I feel mm. like she had, there were periods where she would be bullied in school or she wouldn't be, you know, there were times where they were going on school trips and her father wouldn't let her go to certain places. Like they weren't allowed to go to the cinema or the amusement parks and stuff. So that must have been tough for her. But I'm very glad that rather than that sort of stopping her or making her withdrawn or anything like that, it just seems like she's now got so full of life and she just wants to live life to the fullest <laughs> now yeah. instead. And, and thank you for sharing that because it's, it's wonderful to hear. I think so many people listening will take strength and courage from those things. I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast are kids I mean everyone's a kid but you know like sort of kids who perhaps sort of teenage and early 20s but a lot are actually mothers and fathers but mainly mothers and I think with parents it's so the biggest thing people worry about is parents worry about as far as I understand is how much of an impact they're going to have on their kids both positively and negatively right Mm. and so to hear you sort of tell this story of your mom Elizabeth who had a challenging childhood by all accounts and has turned into this sort of wonderful, loving ray of light, both digitally on Twitter and, of course, in real life. It's really encouraging. That's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I know she's worked hard for it, and I know there's been times where it's been tough, and I feel like she's now probably like the last few years in particular where sort of us kids have grown up, and I think now she's probably in a happier place than ever because there's been times before where she probably... I don't know if it's because of that or other things, but like where, she, yeah, she's obviously been through difficult things as well. I think it's really like the last few years that she's just become even more happy in, yeah. Uh, yeah, like just content with life and happy with who she is. And and I guess part of that happens, this is something that my mom tells me, part of that happiness is being able to see a little bit of you in your children, but also see your children happy. I, I know mm. that sounds like a really obvious thing to say. Obviously, most people, most parents want to see their children happy. But I guess there is that kind of unique joy and sense of contentment and achievement that you only get from being a parent with children that you love and love you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think she's been very, she's always been very loving and very supportive and so happy for us to do what we want. I know she finds it really difficult because I've got two sisters and all of us live in the UK and that, especially when we first moved in, it was so tough for her mm. to sort of be left behind in Sweden. Oh. But she also has always encouraged us to do what it is we want to do. She was also very open to new things. Like, it's funny when she comes over, like, she'll do things with... Because all of our kids are quite creative in various ways. So she came up to Edinburgh Fringe, for example, and I brought her along to watch, like, loads of queer shows. And she's just, mm. like, so open for it. Mm. And so there for a good time and say my one of my sister does a lot of design and art and she's so like open to that world too and explores mm. that with her and so on so she's so just open to all the new things that I guess us and our jobs and our passions brings into her life as well mm. two questions really how come why do you think all three of you have ended up in the same country that's not your home country and why the UK yeah that's a really good question and I don't know if I have a good answer to it I always wanted to live ever since I was little I wanted to live in London I always had this like very romanticized <laughs> picture of what like life in England was like you're saying it doesn't live up to it <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so I always wanted to sort of work in English and live in London so for me that was sort of like always where I wanted to go my older sister ended up here before me and it was just because she was working in fashion and they sort of moved her 
to London. So it was more of like an opportunity came up and she jumped on it and just stayed. And then my younger sister was moving over. She, I think she originally just planned to be here for like six months to a year, but then found life and love here and just mm. has stayed on. And I think it's just that we've been probably from being so encouraged to do what it is we want to do. We've just been able to jump on opportunities when mm. they come or not felt that this is something we can't do. Mm. But yeah, it's strange that all three of us actually ended up in London. It's amazing. And I guess I'm kind of also interested in asking or understanding a little bit more your experience as someone who grew up in Sweden, but in the UK. But before I do, I want to ask a naughty and a nice question related to that. Then I'll ask the nice question first. The nice question is in the UK, I think in particular, we have this very romanticized, idealized perception of what Christmas in Sweden's like. And I kind of want to know about that. Now, the naughty question is, I only know, <laughs> I only know one word, don't ask me how I know this, in Swedish, and I think we're going to mispronounce it, but the word is grotrunk. <laughs> okay, can you explain the concept to listeners who don't speak any Swedish? Well, grotrunk means cry wang. <laughs> <laughs> and why is there a single word for it? Well, it is actually two words put together, okay. so we don't actually separate words in Fine. Swedish, we tend to put them together. So it is kind of two words, and... Maybe it's... <laughs> I I don't know. Is that a phrase used more in, in Swedish than in English? Well, maybe. I love the fact that it is, well, as you say, it's two words into one, but it, you know, it reads like a single word that so succinctly sums up a very sort of complicated concept. But moving on yeah. from Grotrunk, how do you pronounce it? Grotrunk. Grotrunk. Okay, that's my pronunciation on my part. Talk to me about the family Christmas, the idealised Swedish family Christmas. And if it wasn't as we are going to perceive it, break that perception. I want it warts and all. Okay. So we celebrate on the 24th. <gasps> yeah. And hopefully it will be snow, which mm. it usually is, actually. I'm from like south-ish in Sweden, so it's no guarantee anymore, but it tends to be snow and beautiful. Last year was incredible, actually. Mm. And then, yeah, the Swedish tradition will be that at three o'clock, everyone sits down to watch Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Like these, Why Donald Duck? I know, it's really strange. These really old Disney cartoons that first aired in the 50s, and it's just like traditionally carried on ever since. Yeah. And they're really badly dubbed. So sometimes <laughs> you can hear like the English voice a bit over, and it's only like mostly just one male voice yeah. dubbing over all of it. Yeah. So they don't even have like multiple actors and stuff. Like it's very wow. strange. But it's just this tradition that you watch it every year. And after that, you will get the knock on the door. Well, actually first, before that, then... Traditionally, the dad of the family will say that, oh, I need to go out and buy the newspaper. Mm. And then you'll have a knock on the door and it's Santa <laughs> bringing all the gifts in. So we actually get to meet Santa and like here where he comes every night. That's very yes. boring, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, he's a very busy man. Yeah. Well, he still has time for us Swedes. So I'm very grateful for <laughs> He ends out the presents and yeah. And then we eat loads of food, of course. But it's slightly different from here, but it's still incredibly meat based which as a vegetarian is not great <laughs> no i can imagine and sort of like a turkey or no turkey so mm. ham is like our main thing mm. okay so there's ham obviously meatballs sausages fish variations of fish good mm. lord wow that's very sort of meaty and fishy obviously yeah so at best i remember like as a kid i was just like eating some potatoes and some bread normally <laughs> so like i've oh, never no. been a big fan of christmas food but we have this amazing drink called glug which is very similar to blue wine which is there yes what they have yeah. in germany sort of like a sweet malt wine which is great 
And you mm. should normally have it with some raisins and hazelnuts oh and then it's even better, yeah. So that's the kind of the model. How closely did the Cart family follow that? Not, I mean, we haven't really had a Santa for quite a while. Okay. I've actually dressed up a Santa a few times when I've been home to like do like some of our neighbour families that's or so friend cute. families, which is really fun, especially because I'm home so rarely, like they don't really know who I am. So they're mm. like always so surprised because it's not someone... They recognise that they really think it's Santa, even though hopefully I look a bit younger. (laughs) (laughs) And we actually, we also don't do presents. We've stopped doing presents, which I love. Because I don't really enjoy this like forced, I mean, I sound so like hippie and preachy maybe, but I don't like this force of like having to spend loads of money, especially when, I mean, as a struggling creative, that's not really something we have a lot of. Spend all this money to like buy gifts that people may or may not want. And Mm. I know like my siblings will have to do the same for me. And Mm. it's just like, We've stopped doing that and instead just like socializing loads. And more glug. Exactly. More yeah. money for glug. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that, I, I love that. I love that. You've sort of had a modern interpretation. And then obviously, you know, after the 3 p.m. knock on the door and, and sort of Donald Duck, your mom's straight on gay Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> She's sending out Christmas messages and Christmas condolences for anyone who's passed oh, away. Oh, yeah, exactly. Period. <laughs> Bless her. That is absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, she has this thing, normally around Christmas, which Christmas or New Year's, where we'll all sit down together, we've eaten and we just, we just socialise. And mum will always love playing this game. We're like, let's all go around in a circle and all say something we love about each other. Oh, <laughs> That's her favourite thing. I love but then that. Her round always ends up being like a big monologue which just goes on and on and on and we're like you have to leave some for the rest of us <laughs> so she okay and what are the things that you've said about her like that you love about her i mean probably her creativeness creativeness mm. that a word and her i mean how loving she is and how welcoming she is and f- fun and unpredictable which mm. sometimes can be very annoying but it mostly is just really fun what does she do to annoy you? Or did she do to annoy you as a kid? She has zero patience, <laughs> which can be really annoying. Like if she, I do remember if she asks you to do something and it's not done straight away, then she'll just ask you again, sometimes in an aggressive way. And then like, there's no patience, oh. basically. Oh, and she's relentless. Yeah. Like, yeah. But with housework or? or like, yeah, it yeah, could yeah. be with housework. And okay. If I'm in the middle of something, I'm like, yeah, give me five minutes. Like, no, it needs to be done now. You're like, wow. Okay. I've told a little bit of this story on the podcast before. My mum, and I think you said actually before we started recording, she sounds like an interesting character. Yeah. Was it because you've sort of like listened to stuff or kind I of... i listened to a few of the episodes, Okay. Yeah. Was, was there anything that stuck out in your mind? Well, I mean, the fact that she raised you both vegan because yes. she reacted badly when she ate meat when she was pregnant with her sister. <laughs> Once, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I mean... It, hilarious it is funny yeah what's interesting about my mom is and i think this is true of a lot of people she'll take like one shred of evidence like one thing that's happened and suddenly build an entire kind of like life world view around it so the one time that allegedly my mom was sick from eating a steak and ale or steak and kidney pie which is very with my sister. She deduced that my sister was allergic to me. <laughs> I don't think, I can understand you can have a sort of a version, but an allergy to me is, yeah. is quite something. Anyway, in fetal version of Emma, my sister was allergic to me and she, she made as vegetarian than vegan. But for a while, and it was only for a couple of days, this sort of worldview, this kind of like way of living extended to the most extreme part. So she wanted us to be fruitarian because, so for the benefit of listeners, a fruit... There's different interpretations of fruitarianism, but at the heart of it is if a fruit or a vegetable has, quote unquote, died naturally, then you can eat it. But if it hasn't, 
died naturally, then you shouldn't eat it. So a good example, an easy to understand example, is if an apple has fallen from the tree, a fruitarian would eat it. But if it was sort of attached to the tree, a fruitarian wouldn't eat it. But where it became really, really tricky was how you would deduce whether a potato or a carrot had sort of secreted itself naturally from the soil, like as an act of suicide, or whether it had just died naturally, or whether it was still kind of like living in the soil. So it all got really complicated. And as a consequence, our diet got incredibly, incredibly restricted to the point where we... (laughs) We got so malnourished. My sister got dysentery. And then oh, my yeah. mum my mom was basically like, okay, I think this is maybe a little bit extreme. So we'll just get back to being vegan. Yeah. But that was quite an experience. You're vegetarian. Is your whole family vegetarian? How did your mum take it? No, it's quite funny. So ever since I was little, my mum's best friend has been vegetarian for a very long time. And ever since I was little, I remember just like, as I was chewing, you know, hot dogs or something, I would have these images of like happy pigs playing around. And I just find it so difficult. So like, I was really leaning towards it from probably I was like 11, 12 or so. And I didn't really like meat very much. And I remember telling my mom when I was 16 that I was now going to become a vegetarian. Mm. And she started crying. Oh, my God. Well, wow, <laughs> that's not, quite a reaction, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And it was so unexpected. I think it's just part of her being so unpredictable. Because, I mean, she has nothing against vegetarian. She eats quite a lot of like vegetarian food herself. I think it was more the fact that she was just surprised at the mm. time. And it was just a very unexpected reaction, especially as I also knew that I had bigger things to tell her, <laughs> to come out to her with. I wonder um, what they could be. <laughs> so that like, then I was like, oh, this is the reaction to vegetarianism. How is she going <laughs> to accept other things then? Which was absolutely fine, by yes, the way. But yeah. I think you, and she was absolutely fine. And she's wonderful. Like she'll eat, especially if I'm home, like she'll eat. So like she'll eat vegetarian all the yeah. time. Yeah. And yeah. like, she's always cooked a lot of vegetarian food for me as well. Like she's, been wonderful with it so I think it was just like that moment probably like a badly it was time yeah. thing from me and then you never know because the thing with her is sometimes you can tell a joke and she can laugh hysterically but if you do it at the wrong time she might get really upset by it like you never oh, wow. she's always a little she's bit incredibly sensitive yeah which again I think over the last few years has calmed down mm. and she's just more content and happy generally I love how if I've heard you right forgive me if I haven't how you used vegetarianism almost as like the canary down the coal mine of sexuality. You're like, I'm going to give her this piece of news first, see whether the canary is still alive in the coal mine, which it was, and then I'm going to tell her about my news, which is, I think, actually a very good way of coming out. Test the water first, and then sort of deliver. Was it in quite quick succession? It was like two years apart. Okay. So okay. Well, it did have a bit of a gap. And mm. I think I'd never thought... Was it two it... years because of her reaction to vegetarianism or...? Well, I never... When I did say it, I never thought of it as that thing. It was more of a thing of like, well, this is what I'm going to do now. But then when, when the reaction was what it was, that sort of made me think a little bit. Mm. I'm like, mm. oh. And it wasn't like... I knew I, like, I knew I would never have to doubt her love or anything, but I was still a bit like, I, you don't know what the initial reaction sure. is going yeah. to be. Yeah. You're never sure. No, well, exactly. My, <laughs> my, I'm laughing because I almost forgot this story. My, I'm going to tell this story and I want to get your reaction. I want to understand what little Linus would have done. So I came out to my mom when I was 15, nearly 16. And she wasn't the first person I told, but in fact, she was the second person I told. Now, it was a little bit easier because my mom is gay and mm. has been out She's never really formally come out to us, but anyway, she's been in relationships with other women since I was like 12, maybe 11 or 12. So 
you know, had a long time for me for it to bed down with me. I was very confident that she clearly wouldn't have a problem. I mean, wouldn't it be funny if she did? She'd yeah. be like, <laughs> be like, I can be gay, you can't be gay. Anyway, so I told her, and I instantly just started crying because, of course, there's so much like emotional release. Yeah, and she gave me a hug. She said, "Of course, you know, like I'm so proud of you for coming out." I was like, oh, "That's really lovely." I want to go and celebrate. Let's go to a gay club. Oh. I was 15, 16, she was not. And it was in the north of England in Bradford. So like, you know, there are a few slim pickings and I didn't really fancy sort of going clubbing with my mum. So I said, oh, that's really kind of you know. And she said, oh, do you know, let's go to, we're going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to ask them to bring you a rainbow cake. <laughs> and I was like, mum, honestly, like obviously a die of embarrassment if that happened. But anyway, I was like, it's really lovely. Thank you. But nothing's changed. I'm just me, you know, like you don't need to sort of mark the occasion. He said, okay, well, look. Maybe I'll get you a little gift. Let me do that, Lisa. It's okay, fine, whatever. So, you know, we stayed up chatting a bit longer, went to bed. The next morning she got up before I got up and left the house. And I heard her open the front door as I woke up. I went downstairs and on the table in the living room was a present. So it was a kind of, it was wrapped in fairly regular wrapping paper. It was sort of like a box that was like this big. And I unwrapped the wrapping paper and it was, what was presented was this black onyx box that had on one of the drawers written boudoir box. And a boudoir box is like a sort of play kind of makeup dressing up box for little girls. And she'd gone to the town and brought me basically this kind of little girl's makeup set <laughs> with like a little mirror and eyeshadow and blusher and lipstick. And I was like, thank you, mom. Like, you know, like I'm gay. I don't know if I'm into that sort of stuff yet. And she's like, oh, don't worry, you will, but they all are. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that perspective. <laughs> so the question is, what would little Linus have done? Oh, oh God, I think I would have died of embarrassment, <laughs> actually. I think it's wonderful that she's so supportive. I think I grew up like in this, small Swedish village and I grew up Christian my parents are Christians and homosexuality or anything that's not straight was just not a thing it wasn't mm. talked about so that's I mean I didn't come out till I was 18 and it took me like a really long time just to come to terms with it myself so and I think yeah so I think having that reaction would have been <laughs> it's almost too encouraging yeah. too smothering yeah, yeah. Would you be tempted incredible. to try like a little bit of, you know, eyeshadow maybe <laughs> in this privacy of your own room? <laughs> well, I think because the only, I remember like, I'm just so grateful that it's so different today because mm. like, the only representation then really like was Eurovision and mm. which I love and like the Swedish selection process of Eurovision called Melody Festival and which is wonderful and great. Oh, so you have like the actual, sorry, just to clarify, because I'm a huge Eurovision fan. Oh, yeah. I think most Brits are, to be honest. So you actually get engaged with the actual selection process yeah. as well. Oh, fantastic. It runs for six weeks and it's wow. the biggest TV show in Sweden and it's wow. better than Eurovision. And like the standard of, of entertainment, the standard of acts and songs is just so high and better yeah. than Eurovision. That many singers who have like their entire career just based on this, basically. Wow. But that was sort of the only like... And that's obviously very camp, very full of glitter. And mm. and that was sort of like, the, I remember that that was the only kind of depiction of being gay that I knew. And when you mm. don't fit into that, I mean, now I happily, like, I love Melody Festival. But I just felt like I'm not just that. Mm. And I think that was really, that probably made it even trickier at first. Because I, I just, I don't want it to be a thing mm. at first. Like I, was just like, I just want to be able to be a normal person, but still be gay. Whereas now... Now I'm very happy to be yes, not yeah, a normal yeah. person and just yeah. be gay. <laughs> but I think like coming to terms with it, I was just like, I don't want to just be like the stereotypical version. Yes, I understand. Um, and it's a journey as well of yeah. 
it being the only thing you kind of recognize or kind of can relate to, to being something that you enjoy as a human being and as a queer person and, you know, and, 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 and all yeah, the other things as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd never wanted that to be like, I feel like there was, I've changed since I have to say, because now I'm very happy to, for it to be a big part of my identity. But then I was like, I don't want that to be the only thing. Mm. Like I remember often coming out and like my sister who was younger than me, like she had friends in school and be like, oh, oh yeah, your sister to the gay, like, oh, your brother's the mm. gay. And I was like, that's so strange that people I have no idea of. And like, I wasn't... The gay as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Like, I wasn't like out on the scene. I wasn't very like, I was very shy then. Mm. Like, so it just felt like I don't want that to be like my defining feature. Mm. Did your mum help you come to terms with that a little bit? I don't know. I don't actually remember that much from like the first, like they were very accepting and supporting. They didn't, mm. didn't really change anything. And I know what's been very nice. I know some people within the church i know there were, there's been other parents other mothers who's had gay kids or queer kids who's struggled with a lot and mm. that, that like a couple of times they've come to speak to my mom who sort of like helped them so understand and like i guess embrace their kids and come to terms with it that's again going back to what i was saying like i think for people to hear stories like that it's just so wonderful and god what a like what a lovely woman but also what a lovely role to be able to play yeah to be this support absolutely because my parents i don't mean remember before i came out like i remember my dad would do a lot of gay jokes and stuff and it was, he's the most loving person so it was mm. never like meant in a mean way but i think they both grew up in small villages and stuff mm. and i think when i came out it was nice to see that for most people it is ignorance more than anything else like most people aren't hateful it is just ignorance and until they actually come face to face with a queer person and mm. actually understand that we are human. And I think that was nice to see. And especially like for my mom to help others. Mm. Yeah. Such a wonderful, like almost modern day parable. I want to ask you one final question before we wrap up, which is we've heard about this sort of <laughs> glamorous gay Twitter kind of mother of all, you know, not all, but like of a lot of like, you know, wayward gays. Are there any particular stories of where that's, you know, best kind of exemplified from your mom, other than the stuff you were t- talking about before at the two brewers? Oh, well, she, <laughs> well, it was quite funny when she was showing some of her art. She did get a few of the gates, like, I really want to buy this. Oh. She said, like, well, donate to, I think, she, yeah, she said Stonewall. Yeah. And I'll post you the art, which I thought was amazing. So there's like a couple of queers who have her oh, no art. Way. And actually, I did, uh, before I went to French, I did like a crowdfunder quiz night yeah. and I got her to throw in like a couple of drawings yeah. for it and we had like a raffle and people just kept buying raffle tickets because they wanted to win my mum's art no which way. is amazing where can they find can they find her art online is she selling it or she's not selling it she's just like she paints for fun she mainly paints pictures of my little sister has to be said. like when she got back because she used to paint loads when she was younger and then some years ago like she got back into it and it was funny when like I remember all three of us kids were home once and she started showing these pictures you know like Oh, it's a picture of Amanda. Oh, there's another Amanda. Oh, there's Amanda again. Oh, there's, I'm in one. Okay. Oh, there's Amanda. There's Amanda. She's like, okay, it's clear who's your favourite. <laughs> she almost accidentally told you, but actually on purpose. Yeah. I mean, she's so kind of done that. Like, she always used to do like a family calendar for every year yeah. that she sends to us with like images from us. And it's quite funny because there are a lot of my younger sister. There sometimes aren't any of my older sister. Oh, no. <laughs> By accident, supposedly. But it's quite funny how she, like, sometimes have these, like, she'll have a picture of her garden. 
but then she doesn't have one of my older sisters. Like, well, where are your priorities? She'll be in like a couple of group photos, but like all of us get like individual ones and she doesn't. So, like it happened like once or twice. And obviously she's never had I'm sure it was an accident, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. That, that happened. Now you have a new show coming up. Talk to us about. Yes. So I've got a show called Diana, the untold and untrue story, which is another very stupid solo show <laughs> where I'll be playing Princess Diana. <laughs> Which, yeah, I can't wait. It actually started as kind of my partner's mum. Yes. Is like for years we've had this like, we've been laughing and like sharing Diana memes and stuff for a long Mm. time. And then when she turned 60 last year, I started writing like a little thing that I thought we could perform for her when she turned 60. And then I sort of realised like, maybe I could turn it into a solo show. (laughs) Yeah. Which I now have. And what can we expect from Diana, the untold and untrue stories? I think it's very camp, very stupid. I think it's kind of like taking Diana's an untrue and very exaggerated version of Diana's life and like keeping some of the like important or key aspects and events of it and just really exaggerating, make, make it very silly. I actually, I read through this, I worked on the script a bit today because I haven't looked at it for a while and I was like, actually, I think this could be really fun. <laughs> oh my God, I'm looking forward to it. As, as soon as you announced it at the end of your Edinburgh show, I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> All the yeses. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. And I, I mean, I love Diana, so it's definitely done with love. Yeah. But it's not necessarily tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, go and follow Linus Carp on Instagram and Twitter. Are you Linus Carp on both? Yeah. Linus Carp, where you can find out more information about his upcoming show, Diana, The Untold and Untrue Stories. Linus, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. 